invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading. We'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Let's read God's good word together. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years, and though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Americans spent over $145 billion on technology this Christmas. We spend an average of four hours a day on our screens. We look at our smartphones an average of 58 times each day. More than 70% of us use social media. Technology touches every aspect of our lives. It holds the promise of enormous good. But misused, it can cause untold pain, leaving us feeling isolated, anxious, depressed, or addicted. It's been said that technology makes a tremendous servant, but a terrible master. This month, we're exploring how we can avoid the perils and unleash the promise of technology in our lives, our families, and our communities. Could anyone relate to that? (laughs) So we're going to be talking about technology. How can we live with it? Because it's not going anywhere, right? I've got a screen right behind me. And so that's what we're looking at. Uh, That's what we'll be talking about during this back-to-school season. And if you're here, you've made it through back-to-school, so congratulations. We made it in our household. Um, I I love preaching early in September because I can show you all my back-to-school photos. And so there's Elsie. She's starting third grade, and it's going great. She loves her teacher. That's going really well. And uh, we also wanted to get little sister in the photo. She's, she's, uh, she's not starting anything because daycare keeps going, and go, that's, that's what's great about it. And, uh, but anyway, we still had to get a photo with her. She would not smile. And so this might be helpful to you if you have little ones who won't smile for pictures. Just have them hug. And then it doesn't, they can't see their face, and it looks really sweet. And so... So that's going really well. And so she's back to school. It's going great. She loves her teacher. She loves her class. And uh, now I have 18 new logins and passwords that I have to remember, right? Because I have to put money in for lunch and that's on one platform. But then I also need to pay for the insurance for her tech because she gets a Chromebook this year. So I pay for the insurance. That's on a different platform. And uh, it was really interesting. We went to back to school night where the teacher kind of tell, you know shows the parents all the ropes. Here's what they're going to be learning. Here's how grading works. And there was an entire slide devoted to communication. And, and so we've got, uh, we've got a Facebook group that parents can be a part of so we can see photos of what's happening during the day and, and questions that we can ask whenever our kids get home. That's nice to know. There's also a remind, which is for reminders. That, that's, that one's pretty straightforward. And then there's a weekly newsletter from the third grade team, but there's also a bi-weekly email newsletter from, from the entire school. And, and as we were going through this, I thought the profession of teaching has changed a lot since I was a kid. When I was a kid, there were notes home in your Thursday folder, and there were phone calls. 
And now we're asking teachers, you need to do all the other stuff, but also you need to be communications coordinators for your entire class. And, uh, and parents are going to be messaging you all day, and you have to do that. Also, don't neglect the classroom management. Just make it work, right? So, so thank you, teachers. I, I know it is getting harder and harder. And yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's an amazing blessing, and uh, I can't imagine how, how they actually do all the things that they do and, uh, and manage to teach class as well. And, and so that's what we're looking at, is, is how do we figure out, how do we navigate this technological world that we're living in? Because um, it's, the tech's not going anywhere, and so we've got to figure it out. We're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks. We're talking about uh, what the tech, the, the, maybe the, you find yourself saying that in your household. Because we're living at a time when technology is advancing at a rate that's unprecedented in human history, right? I mean, if you think back to your, maybe your great-great-grandparents, basically anyone who lived before the Industrial Revolution, their life was pretty much, I mean, pretty similar to the life of the generation that went before them and the generation that went before them. And now if you look just during my lifetime, how much has life changed? It's, it's unbelievable. Because now we've got, we've, we've got these, these abilities that we take for granted that would have just been mind-blowing to our ancestors. Wait a second, you can instantly get, uh, get a message from one side of the world to the other, and all you have to do is tap a screen a few times. By the way, what's a screen, right? I mean, just these things that seem so basic to us now, and it doesn't even cost, I mean, it costs something, but it, uh, it's, it's all wrapped up into the plan. And, uh, you know, getting a message to the other side of the world would have cost more than I pay a month for my phone bill. And, and it's just unbelievable, and, and that's just scratching the surface. We've got, we're seeing AI technology advance so fast that it's capable of generating conversation and writing that is hard to distinguish from things that have actually been generated by humans. And, uh, and I don't envy college professors or anyone who has to grade an essay now. Uh, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. And, and yet, despite all of these advances, our well-being is diminishing by many measures. And, uh, well, which measures? Like most of them, it seems like. Anxiety, sedentariness, life expectancy, loneliness, they're all trending in the wrong direction. You've probably seen the same studies that I am, but we have all of these issues. Uh, some of them, many of them, related in some way to technology. It's not necessarily making us happier and, and all of those things. And so we need to find a way, and what we're trying to do in this series is to, to, together to try to put appropriate boundaries around technology in order to live a fully human life. This isn't, we're not going to come in and say we need to get rid of all the technology. We're not going to stop having online church, and so we can't get rid of all the technology. But we are going to try to put appropriate boundaries around that so we can actually live. Because sometimes it's uh, just coming at us to a point that it's hard to even feel like you're, you're living a real life because everything's mediated by a screen. And uh, this is what Jesus says about that. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think the relationship a lot of us have with technology, certainly I feel like this a lot of times. Certainly whenever I, this week when I was looking for a photo that I was trying to use for the sermon and it took me an hour to get my external hard drive to like boot up and connect, I felt like it was stealing life from me. And that's not what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to have life and have it abundantly. 
And so that's what we're looking at. And, and so you think about this, we see all of the downsides, we experience the downsides, and we think, you know, why, why do we still stay as connected as we are? And there are a few situations where we have to, right? I mean, if your job requires you to, like, it's a, it's a pretty significant lifestyle change to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. But there are some situations where we do it because the promises of technology are just really great. And, uh, and we know they don't always deliver, and, and yet still we find ourselves just kind of pulled in, like, wait a second, this new iPhone, this one's actually going to make me happy. I know the first 15 or whatever, however many did not, but this one, I know this is going to be different. It, it, because technology makes all of these promises. It promises to give us the power to do more with less effort, right? I mean, I can talk to somebody in China. I don't have to dispatch a messenger at enormous personal cost. I just tap some buttons on a screen. We can do much more with less. We can also get the, the, the feeling of connection. We can feel like we're connected to people without the messiness of face-to-face interactions. Like, oh my gosh, I've got a thousand friends if you look at my Facebook feed. That's great. And I don't have to talk to any of them. I don't have to talk to a single one. And so I don't have to worry about saying the wrong thing or them being too needy. I can just, oh, I, I wasn't checking Facebook today. Sorry. Uh, you know, and I can go on with my day. We, we can just skip all of that and feel like we're connected to people. We can also buy whatever we want without ever having to set foot out of our house. I don't have to talk to a single person. You know, I just tap leave on, leave on the porch, and I don't have to talk to the delivery person either. It's great. And I can be shopping all the time. Like, you used to have to go to a store to do that, or at least to have a Sears catalog. And, and now it's just like any moment. You could be buying stuff, and a lot of times we are, right? Because it could be on our doorstep tomorrow, and that's a pretty sweet deal. We also have the ability to encounter only the voices that are saying exactly what we want to hear. I can isolate myself in my own echo chamber where I don't have to listen to a single dissenting voice, except for occasionally so that I can talk about how awful they are, right? <laughs> can you believe they said this? Uh, what an awful thing to say. We just kind of wall ourselves off, and, and sometimes we don't even do it on purpose. Just the algorithms that are serving us just decide, okay, this is what Brandon likes. Here's what Brandon's going to get more and more and more and uh, until I think the whole world thinks like I do, and anyone who doesn't must be crazy because it's so obvious. And, uh, and here's the best one. We never have to be bored again, right? Do you remember whenever we used to be bored? Yeah, that was so awful. And now all we have to do, we just scroll and scroll and scroll, or we just stream and stream and stream. We don't even have to hit the play button again because it just goes, right? And, I mean, some of the countdowns are a little bit long, like, okay, you know I don't want to watch 30 seconds of the credits. But, <laughs> but it just... It just makes it so easy. Waiting in line for, for the checkout person, if you even have to have a person to check you out, just get on your screen. You don't have to be bored. And, and yet with all of that, somehow it doesn't feel like we're any more alive, and in many ways less so. And I, I was reading an article about uh, how streaming is not as fun because it costs more now, and you also get ads even though you're paying more. And uh, this is what uh, Charlie Warzel said. He's a, a writer for The Atlantic. He said, a fundamental experience of being alive on the Internet in 2023 is getting everything you ask for and realizing that the end product is not what it seems. Have you had that experience? I feel like that a lot. Like, okay, I just wanted to sit here for four hours and binge watch, and I feel awful after having done so, right? We, we gain all of this, and we lose something fundamental to what it is to be human. The, the, um, the columnist uh, Andrew Sullivan put it this way in a, in a piece that he wrote reflecting on his life on the internet. He said, I used to be a human being. 
but just the constant connection and, and having to constantly monitor uh, the news stream and, and following all of his, uh, um, you know, the scrolling platforms, all of that, just, it just felt, he just felt hollow, like he wasn't even a person anymore. Andy Crouch is a great writer. He has some great books that we'll be referencing during this series. He talks about what, what that condition's doing to us now. He says, the, the defining mental activity of our time is scrolling. Our capacities of attention, memory, and concentration are diminishing. To compensate, we toggle back and forth between infinite feeds of news, posts, images, episodes, taking shallow hits of trivia, humor, and outrage to make up for the depths of learning, joy, and genuine lament that now feel beyond our reach. You don't feel really good right now? This is great. I know. I'm glad you chose to spend this uplifting morning with me. (laughs) But, uh, but there's some ways that we've really substituted things for human connection that, uh, that are just, I mean, almost offensive. So um, Sherry Turkle's a, a great writer on this. She has an awesome book called Reclaiming Conversation. But, but she writes about in her research 10 years ago that, uh, that she was um, part of this experiment that had these robotic animals that were given to people who were in nursing homes. And so um, she, she was in the, this is it, Paro, the seal Paro? I don't know how to say it. But, uh, but these, would, these robots, even 10 years ago, would respond to human voices and act like they're listening. And so she, she walked into the room of a woman who had dementia who had lost her daughter and who was talking to the seal and appeared to have the impression that the seal was actually listening to her. And she just had this profound experience of, of why are we asking robots to do something as fundamentally human as comforting someone who's bereaved? How are we doing that? She, she says, we expect more from technology and less from each other. Isn't that, is that true for you? And a lot of times, I don't want to talk to a person. I'd rather just get exactly what I want on a screen. And, uh, and even, if it, you know, even if I have to go to the store, I'm at least going to identify exactly what aisle and section it's on so I do not have to talk to anyone, right? I'm asking more for my technology. And, and that is the opposite of what we're made for. I don't know if you knew this, but most generations before us didn't have screens. What did they do? Oh, my gosh. Because what we are made for is relationships, God made us for relationships. And so we see this very early in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. Um, after God creates the first human being, God, God says, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. And if you remember what happens in Genesis chapter 1, it's the seven days of creation. God creates all that is. God says, let there be light. And God saw that the light was good. And then God creates the the sky and the sea and and saw that it was good. And then created the dry land and and on and on and on. Six times God saw that it was good. This is the first not good in the Bible, is a human being who's alone. That we were made to be in relationship with other people. And yet our use of technology today gets in the way of our relationships. And this is some more research that, uh, that Turkle did. She said, she, um, said, studies of conversation both in laboratory and in natural settings show that when two people are talking, the mere presence of a phone on the table between them or in the periphery of their vision changes both what they talk about and the degree of connection they feel. Just, just being able to see a phone changes the degree of connection and what you talk about. She said, people keep the conversation on topics where they wouldn't mind being interrupted. They don't feel as invested in each other. Even a silent phone 
distracts us. It's even in ways that we don't realize, just the presence of technology can affect our relationships. And there's a recent study, there are actually several, but that shows a correlation between excessive phone use and marital dissatisfaction. People feel like their spouses aren't available because they're on, on technology. And uh, the, it had the, uh, the, the, the best study title that I think I've ever seen. It was something like, my life is a major distraction from my cell phone. Right? I mean... Yeah, that's, uh, that's life today. And, and so this is what, on, on that study, this is what one therapist said. Uh, he's been practicing, I think, for about 20 years. He said, smartphones have cost more upheaval than anything I've seen in my career. We've normalized them being intrusive and taking precedence when, other, when people are lying in bed, playing Wordle and scrolling through TikTok, rather than talking to each other. Instead of talking, we're, we're just scrolling alone together. And, and our preoccupation with screens, it can cause us to miss the most precious moments of our lives. And uh, this isn't new to you all, I know, but, uh, but I remember this was uh, back in 2012. My family had gotten together. It was my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary, and, and it was great. You know, my cousins were in from North Carolina. We were all in Kansas City, which is where uh, my grandpa and grandma lived, and we were all together. It almost never happened, and, uh, and we were sitting in my grandpa's living room, and we, I, uh, we, this was, so 20, just to put 2012 into perspective for those of you who remember, this is when people were playing Words with Friends. Do you remember that? It's like Scrabble without the licensing fee. <laughs> and, and so we, this was new to us. And so we were starting these games with like my cousins and, and my brothers and I were, were all playing games. And so we were on our phones and like you'd play with like this cousin and while he was going, then I'd play with this cousin and, the, and then I'd go with my, uh, my sister. And, and um, Courtney said, look at your grandpa. And uh, I looked up and my grandpa was just sitting there and everyone else was on their phones. My grandpa's 85. I mean, he never progressed past a flip phone. <laughs> And, uh, and we were just, we had this moment where we were together, which almost never happened, and uh, we were staring at screens. And this is uh, from that weekend, uh, my grandpa and my dad, and maybe you can see a resemblance. If uh, Phones in 2012 are not what they are today either, but uh, uh, the cameras. But here's the thing, my, my grandpa and my dad have both passed on by now, and, uh, and do you think I wouldn't give anything to have that moment back? to actually be in the same room as those people and uh, pay attention to them, I would. I mean, I, I would do anything. And, uh, and so these moments that we have, we, we lose them because we're somewhere else. We're somewhere else instead of being with the people that we're actually with. And, uh, and so it, you all probably have figured out that talking about technology and talking about the Bible is a little bit difficult, right? Jesus did not have a phone that we know of. And, uh, and, and yet there are things that are relevant to the way that he lived that help us to know how to do that because Jesus was, was generous with his attention during his ministry. Attention is uh, something that transcends technology. But, but the story that, that we began with, um, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting, waiting for him. Just then there came a man named Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years old who was dying. And so this man had come to Jesus. His daughter was dying and he needed help. And so he'd come and got Jesus, and Jesus went with him. And as Jesus went, the crowds pressed in on him. And uh, this is the part that we started with. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately the hemorrhage stopped. And so in the midst of this, Jesus was on his way to do something else, and this woman basically pressed, fought through the crowd, and touched Jesus' robe. And because she touched it, she was healed. That's, that's pretty cool, right? 
But, and so she had fought through this. You know, Jesus didn't set out to heal her. She came to him. And, uh, and then Jesus stopped. And he said, who touched me? And everyone denied it. And Peter was like, Jesus, what are you doing? Master, the crowds around you uh, surround you and press in on you. Like, how are we going to tell who touched you? Everyone is touched. There are like 15 people right now who are touching you. And, and Jesus said, someone touched me, for I noticed the power had gone out for me. He did not just move on. He didn't say, look, I'm on a very important errand right now which he was. I mean, these were not low stakes, but Jesus stopped and he looked for the person who had touched him. Despite the urgency of the situation, Jesus stopped to speak with the woman in need. And it's not even like he needed to stop to heal. She had already been healed, but he wanted to stop and to talk to her. And uh, she was trying to do the introvert thing, like get in, get your healing, get out. Don't make eye contact with anyone. (laughs) I can relate to that. That's me pretty much. And, uh, but then she saw, she, when she saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And so what does Jesus do? He didn't say, why did you bother me? Don't you know I'm on a very important errand that, that somebody's life is on the line? He stopped and he looked at her and he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It was so important to Jesus that he stopped whenever he was going to heal someone who was dying so that he could make eye contact with her, and so that he could say, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It, he, it was worth stopping what he was doing, only so that he could bless her. And here's the thing about love, about relationships. It's inconvenient, you know? Like, my kids are a major inconvenience in my life. I cannot do any of the stuff that I used to be able to do, because I've got to, like, get them to bed, and they don't have energy to do anything. It's messy. I mean... And it's risky. We have to put ourselves out there. I mean, even with your own kids, you put yourself out there, and sometimes when you get back, it does not feel like love. <laughs> but even in friendships, I mean, every time you, you reach out to folks, it's a risk. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to engage this person. I think they, we might be friends. You know, maybe we can get coffee sometime, and maybe they're going to tell me they're too busy, or they're just going to ignore me. It's a risk. But it's also what we were made for. That's what we were made for. It's not good for the human being to be alone. God created us for one another. In fact, that's, we're made in the image of God, who, who is not alone, but is three in one. God who lives perpetually in relationship, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. If, if we want to love our neighbors like Jesus tells us, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, we can't love our neighbors if we don't know them, if we don't take the time to actually get to know them. And uh, complaining about other neighbors on next door is not going to do it. We've got to actually have a conversation. And, and what's really amazing, it's, it's interesting if you look at the habits of, of, the, of tech leaders, of people in Silicon Valley and the way that they raise their kids, they, they do not let their kids on devices, and, uh, even though that's what gives them the money that they have. And, and here's what Apple CEO Tim Cook says. He says, if I'm looking at my device more than I'm looking into someone's eyes, I'm doing the wrong thing. And this is the guy who gets paid by the number of iPhones you may, that you buy. And uh, even he says, look, if, if I'm looking at my phone and I'm not looking at the person in front of me, I'm doing the wrong thing. So how do we do this? How do we choose relationship or technology? There are a lot of ways. Not all of them will apply to you, but here are just a few practical tips. You can adapt them. Um, you can pick the ones that work for you. But here are a few things that, that I'm trying to do with some degree of success. I don't do any of these all the time, and I don't even do all of them some of the time, but here are some things that I think may be helpful to you. And, and so first, choose face-to-face conversation instead of text or email 
or Zoom. It's not always an option, but whenever it is, choose face-to-face. I lead a board of, of United Methodists in Oklahoma, and some of them are as far away as Elk City, and whenever we meet, we don't do it on Zoom. We have to get together in the same room, because the relationships that happen there enable us to do the hard work that we need to do. If we don't have those relationships, it won't work. And we do have some, with smaller groups, we do have Zoom, but whenever we're getting together for the big stuff, we don't, we don't do that online. And, and so if you've got, if you need something from a coworker, then you might just, all right, this is crazy. You might walk down the hall instead of emailing them, right? I mean, you might actually have a conversation. Actually, if, it's, if you're trying to figure out when to have uh, scheduled a meeting to, to figure out what's the next step on that project, walking down the hall will actually save you like a dozen emails of like, hey, does this time work for you? No, does this time work for you? No, and just back and forth. But actually have a conversation with someone. Whenever you can, choose face-to-face, Choose face-to-face. You can also try visiting a physical store instead of shopping online. The nice thing is, whenever you walk out the door, you're not shopping anymore. And, and if you're on your phone, you're shopping all the time. And so this has been great for us. I don't know about, uh, some of you will probably know this. One of my, my only vice, just kidding. I have a few. But, but one of my vices is book buying. I mean, I've got, I, I had, a, last weekend I had a, an in-law like, so y'all still buying more books, huh? And yeah, we're going to find a place to put them eventually. And, but, uh, but one of the things I've done, so I can you know, buy any book on Amazon and have it the next day, but one of the things I've tried to start doing is actually buying those at a, at a brick-and-mortar bookstore. And, and you know, it's less convenient. I have to go away from my house, and, and um, it's, it takes more time. It, it is not on my doorstep the next day. Sometimes it takes weeks to get the book that I ordered. But when we've done that, we've actually made relationships with the people in the stores, with, with the owner of the stores and the workers. And, and it's really enriched our lives. We've taken our kids to story time. Now, I'm sure there's, there's a, an episode of story time on Prime Video that I can get, but I don't get that whenever I, I shop at Amazon. It's not an in-person thing. My daughters love that. And so choose a physical store where you can actually have a relationship with someone. And then talk with your spouse, with your family, with the people that you spend the most time with about what are the boundaries that we're going to have around phones. Because that, that whole marital dissatisfaction thing, I think a lot of it comes from just, a, I expect you to know what I want you to do with your phone, and you should just know. And why haven't you figured it out by now, right? We don't, we don't have, a shared, have shared assumptions around boundaries. And so have those conversations. You know, are we going to have phones at the dinner table? Also, don't have phones at the dinner table. That one's easy. But, uh, you know, when are we going to do that? What are our boundaries around, you know, around bedtime? Where do devices live? Do they sleep in rooms with us or do they... Do they sleep somewhere else? All those kinds of things. And then we can actually, some decisions that you can actually make together. And then put your phone to bed at night. Like it doesn't, don't let it sleep with you. Put it to, put it to bed at night and don't wake it up first thing in the morning. We need that time whenever our brains can actually, can actually like breathe a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think you all know about the blue lights effects on sleep. It, you can't sleep as well whenever the light, you're on your phone right before bed. And, uh, and do you really want whatever news alert has come most recently to be the first thing that greets you in the morning? I, I, I'm guessing it's probably not the best way to start your day most days. And so give it a bedtime. And uh, one thing that you might experience if you're a parent or even a grandparent or just if you've got responsibility for other people, if you're thinking about, you know, I'd really like to be able to turn off my phone, you know, just for an hour, but what if something happens, you know, and people can't reach me? One of the things that I've been trying to do, I grew up in the 90s, and, uh, and so whenever th- turning off my phone feels risky, I just think, what would a parent in the 80s or 90s have done? right? Because uh, when it, whenever my parents went out, and t- I think my mom got her first cell phone when I was around 10. So every time my mom left the house before that, she left without her phone, 
What if she, well, we'd just try our best to get a hold of her. My parents even traveled internationally, and uh, we were not making international calls at that point. That was super expensive, and, and we figured it out. And so, you know, that, that helps me to kind of remember whenever those things feel hard. Like, what if people can't reach me for an hour? And, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's been the case for most human beings throughout history. 99.9% of every human who ever lived was unreachable for large amounts of their lives. And they figured it out. And so that's helpful for me. Like, oh, okay. I'm not a terrible parent because my phone was off for an hour and the school can't call me. Like, they can figure it out most of the time. And so here's your action step. And maybe you pick one of those, but maybe you don't. But identify one way in your life that you can choose relationship over technology. And then actually do that this week. And so talk to the people you live with, or, or if you live alone, or, or they're just not going to get on board, you can figure that out for yourself. But, to, but choose one of those things and say, you know, this week I'm going to be really intentional about choosing relationship over technology. I'm not just going to kind of float through. And I got a great reminder of this yesterday. We had kind of a, a mini family reunion. A lot of times in September we would get together. That was my grandpa's birthday, other side of the family, not different grandpa. But uh, he died earlier this year. And so we got together. He and, uh, and my brother have a birthday that's close to and so uh, we had a great family reunion. Uh, all my siblings were in, which uh, my grandma's a miracle worker. I don't, we can't even do that at Christmas. But, uh, but we had an experience of, of actually getting to be together. Some of my cousins were there. They had left whenever we took this photo. But we got to have conversations. You know, my, my cousin was bringing her boyfriend. We were all meeting him for the first time. And we were like, okay, are, are we going to act normal? Or are we going to be ourselves? You know? <laughs> and... And those are the things that we remember. I, I, I think I'll remember that for a long time. I'm not going to remember what happened in the family group chat. You know, that's nice to be able to communicate. That some live in Kansas City, some live in Dallas. And so it's nice in between, but there's no substitute for being in the same room together. There's no substitute for it because that's the way that God made us, to actually live in community. And whenever we spend that time with one another, whenever we give other people the kind of attention that Jesus gave to that woman, whenever we receive that kind of attention, we become human again. Will you pray with me? God, we're grateful for all the blessings that you give to us. We're grateful for the gift of technology. And we just ask that you would give us the wisdom to use it well. And to remember that it's not what we're made for. That you made us for one another. And above all, that you made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And so God, we pray that you would, you would just heal our anxieties, heal our restlessness and heal our relationships, and help us to live as Jesus did, in perfect relationship with you. As he taught us, so we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.